We're live. My guest today is Griffin Anderson. He is the CEO of Fee Labs, though the core contributor to Archway. Archway is a Cosmos blockchain that supports Cosmosm and is focused on rewarding developers with interesting protocol economics. Archway provides built-in modules that allows different on-chain funding mechanisms for developers. So we're going to be talking about this today, as always, diving into the technical details, understanding Archway's custom SDK modules, the funding economics that they provide. We'll also get into Cosmosm a little bit and understand how Archway is different from other Cosmos smart contract chains. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks that most dApps won't be sovereign app chains. Before you get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on the interrupt is investment advice. If you enjoy this content, please consider subscribing and also consider staking with us. We're validating on Evmos Quicksilver. And soon, in just a couple of weeks, we will be live on Osmosis. Just look for interrupt in the validator set. My guest, Griffin Anderson, is coming up next right here on the interrupt. <music> Hello, Griffin. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me on this one. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been trying to get this set up. And like, there's actually like a lot of things kind of going on right now uh, that are kind of topical to, um, yeah, Cosmwasm generally, uh, you know, as uh, you may have seen in the last couple of days that I wanted to talk to you about as well. And um, yeah, I just released today like a, basically my thesis for Cosmos for the next uh, year uh, people can find out on my Twitter, and in it, I I spent like quite a bit of time talking about Cosmosm, and I learned a lot about Cosmosm as I was writing this. And uh, I might take this opportunity to to pick your brain a little bit more about Cosmosm. Um, so yeah, before we get started, uh, like yeah, you you've been a crypto for a while. Uh, you were a contributor to Ethereum. You worked on uh, you worked at Consensus. You also worked at Ignite, uh, or maybe it was still Tendermint then. I don't know, but yeah. What, how did you, uh, how did you get to be here on this podcast, basically? Yeah, yeah, that, that's thank you for summing up some of that. So, um, it was very fortunate enough to kind of jump into crypto full time in, in 2015 and, and, um, jumped into the Ethereum ecosystem right when it was, uh, basically went live with mainnet, um, and was one of the first hires over at a company called Consensus. Uh, played a number of different hats there with my time over there, but was. You know, there when the original DAO hack happened for those that were around that long ago on the phone, calling miners, forking the chain was, um, you know, help build enterprise Ethereum Alliance and opening up offices around the globe and just really was doing a lot of go to market stuff. Um, when I had left, I was, I was running um, some product and engineering teams around the data and the infrastructure piece of things uh, that was being integrated into MetaMask and, and a lot of the other products folks use. So I um, kind of have a product engineering background. Um, and then I ended up getting picked up by by Tendermint to come play, um, help on the go-to-market side of things, um, where uh, we sort of then uh, came up with the idea of basically Archway. And so we started incubating um, uh, the protocol uh, within uh, Tendermint. And then we spun out um, the company, uh, the private company, which is now called Phi Labs, uh, out of Tendermint um, and and started continuing to contribute to the Archway protocol. So it's been a really, really fun ride. Been seeing all the ups and downs of of the blockchain crypto space for, for a number of years, but uh, it's it's been exciting. So I kind of forgot that Archway 
was incubated at Ignite. Um, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about that and how how did that become a thing? Because you know there there has been a, a lot of conversations over the years about like having Cosmosm on the hub, and then like that didn't happen, and then like Neutron ended up kind of being the well i mean it you know it'll be a IB, uh, an ics secured chain on the hub um and then yeah then there's a there's archway and so how did that came to be and what's the positioning here like relative to other chains yeah so um tendermint was looking and it was still named tendermint at the time for, for context before it got rebranded to ignite um tendermint was looking at the landscape of the cosmos ecosystem and um, we started to really notice that, you know, the app chain thesis really wasn't coming to fruition um, to the degree that that the community had hoped. IBC wasn't quite launched yet. Um, and we were starting to see other layer one ecosystems take off with very vibrant dApp communities like the Solana ecosystem and so forth. Uh, Juno hadn't launched yet, uh, hadn't integrated Cosmosm into the protocol yet. Um, in, in that stuff. So we started basically coming up with the um, idea of uh, of Archway, basically, um, and built into it this reward system, which we'll touch in a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it got started from the point of view is we wanted to basically serve this, this larger um, DAP ecosystem, and it was really not being met by the other stakeholders in the ecosystem. Terra really hadn't blown up at that time. Um, mm -hmm. So Terra was always built as like a, a stable coin, right? It really was never designed to be a, a generalized smart contracting platform. So what we've been kind of working on this problem for, for a number of years, um, but that's kind of the how it got incubated. Um, we continued to grow up the team and the size. And then once we got to um, a certain point, it made more strategic sense, um, which was a, the goal is to basically spin the project out to its own um, separate entity so it could focus in on just the specific problem. Because um, at the time, Tendermint was focused on all kinds of different problems. And, and so get this problem out so we could focus in on it. Um, and then uh, been working towards it kind of ever since. So um, that's a little bit of the history of like how it got started. But we've been working on this for over two years now at this point. Uh, quite a bit of time and energy has been put into this protocol. Yeah. And one, one thing that strikes me as interesting is that I, I don't know if there's any, if there's any uh, sort of link there. But... Um, you know, uh, Archway has this 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 interesting uh, kind of um, uh, funding uh, mechanism that that allows uh, DApp developers to also earn part of the fees, and so that there's like this kind of flywheel. Um, Evmos also has similar aspirations, and you know, Fede was also at Tendermint. I don't know if you guys were there together. But you know, did these ideas basically get seeded at Tendermint, and you guys just kind of like went off to do you know one an EVM chain and another a custom awesome chain, and like how how did that come to be? Um, look, I, I really love and appreciate the, the Evmos ecosystem. What happened was Fede spun out um, uh, to do Evmos, um, and, and so he, he at the time he did leave. What we ended up doing, I, I don't think most people realize, but we ended up circulating the light paper and the technical papers around to a bunch of people, core contributors within the Cosmos ecosystem. So the Osmosis community, 
um, uh, saw the saw the light paper. Fmos community saw the paper and so forth. Um, and I think a lot of the key, probably more well-known personalities within the Cosmos space saw the opportunity that Archway was working on, and and borrowed some of those ideas. Um, those were, you know, V1 early drafts, and then went out to basically, um, you know, in the Fmos case, they implemented it. Uh, they implemented it slightly differently than the way we've been going about implementing it. Um, they've been able to get to market. And we can kind of talk about the differences a little bit in the show. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the core team that was focusing in on this, um, you know, it kind of originated from the quote unquote, the Archway core group, uh, but other groups have implemented it faster, but they've also taken like a different route to implement it much, much faster. Um, but with that being said, you know, we really appreciate the way they've implemented it. I'm really excited that the idea as a whole has really just gained a lot more adoption in Steam. Um, you can see that most recently with like the Canto ecosystem uh, kind of copying or, or or I guess borrowing ideas from the Evmos community, which I think originally originated from us. So it, it's, it, you know, we're glad that these ideas are spreading, but we've been working on these problems and, and they're quite complex and we'll kind of maybe dive into it a little bit more here. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and you know, I just, just out of curiosity, like, and then I'll stop bugging you about this kind of historical contextual stuff. Um, tell me a little bit about the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, because like I, I remember when that launched uh, back then. Uh, you know, I was also building like an uh, a, an enterprise blockchain startup, um, and th there was a lot of discussion around then about you know, enterprise and sort of large companies uh, using blockchains. Do you, do you think that that helped move the needle? And do you think that now we're in a better place or the ecosystem is in a better place um, to kind of accurately, you know, like do, do business development in a way that will actually get large companies um, and corporations to start using blockchain? Yeah, it, it, um, I think for background context, so at the time there was, uh, most people probably don't realize, but there was like R3 and digital asset holding, um, IBM. Of those guys? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you, you ask the historians what actually happened. Um, some of them may be around in, in some form. Um, the um, at the time, though, so they were doing um, private blockchains. They were working with a lot of Wall Street firms, and um, there was a need to basically um, get Ethereum introduced to more of the enterprises and the institutional side of things. It really didn't have mass adoption. Um, at the same time, IBM was making a very aggressive push into enterprises as well. And there was a little bit of a yeah. fight over um, you know, which technical stack would win the enterprise. And the thought was, if you, if you won the enterprise stack where developers are being paid to basically build on a certain stack that maybe in the free time they would like support, you know, the public stacks, that was kind of the idea. So it was pretty important to win um, uh, the private sector. Uh, so Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, um, I know consensus at the time was leading that we were leading the charge and we basically brought together a whole bunch of stakeholders into a room in, in Microsoft in, in Times Square there in New York. And yeah. uh, um, we got everybody together and started basically putting together the, the governance frameworks for how the the, the association would, would run. 
Um, and it was basically meant to counter like a lot of the initiatives that like IBM was was implementing and things like that um, and, and to support it. It had a really weird effect, um, not one that I, I would have guessed, but it got Ethereum integrated into the large corporations and into the large enterprises. Um, and what ended up happening is the folks that were working on the blockchain groups in those groups ended up over the years all pretty much jumping over to the public blockchain side of things. And now, surprisingly, they've gone like real DeFi, DGen, or NFTs. You see them all over the ecosystem now. So it was just like this big talent suck. From it was a big talent suck. And it just brought in all these these people. And they were like, no, nah, it's more fun to work on the public side than in the in yeah. these enterprises. So yeah. um, those were kind of the unintended consequences of, of that strategy, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, it also did legitimize Ethereum and basically make it a household name. Um, and it obviously brought in institutional interest, which is really important for any protocol in its evolution of development. And so um, while I, I'm surprised more L1s don't do that kind of stuff, there is a bit of a timing game to all that. But um, yeah, that was the unintended consequences is, is it brought a lot of fresh talent into the space. And, and now you'd be surprised. Those are like predominant degens throughout all of crypto. So it's kind of <laughs> funny seeing that full circle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've often said that I, you know, I think that the ICF should just dump a ton of money into business development, um, trying to get Cosmos into the hands of enterprise because I, you know, I feel, and you probably agree that, uh, that the Cosmos SDK is just so well suited for the kind of progressive decentralization that enterprise would be more comfortable uh, leveraging or rather than, well, on the one side, like going full decentralized, right? Like being on the public network. And I think that Ethereum, you know, like launching an Ethereum chain uh, as, a, as a company doesn't carry the same kind of forward looking uh, progressive integration with the public blockchain ecosystem that the Cosmos SDK does, where with the Cosmos SDK, you could, you know, you could launch your Cosmos SDK blockchain as a standalone validator, you know, basically run it yourself, whitelist everybody who, who uses it, and then progressively let people, um, uh, more, more customers use it progressively add in new validators and then at some point enabling IBC and like going going all the way in, in the same way that um, intranets turned into, you know, extranets and then, mm -hmm. you know, basically went all into the public cloud. And uh, and I feel like no one's doing this biz dev work and it, it's it's just such an easy sell. Like, um, and uh, and yeah, I, I would just I, I think it's such like a such a missed opportunity in, in the Cosmos ecosystem that we're not pushing this forward. I, I would say that's one of the competitive advantages that the Cosmos technical stack has. Um, but, you know, I think once again, maybe we'll touch on it at some point in this call. It's a lot of the challenges coordination around resources. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's maybe the challenges that the Cosmos space has. Yeah. Well, let's um, we could we could talk. Uh, pretty long about this kind of stuff, I think. But yeah, let's 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 switch gears and talk about Archway. So, so we we already mentioned that Archway is a smart contract chain that uh, enables uh, Cosmosm, um, but it's much more than that. So, can you can you explain what is the core value proposition of Archway? And I think for context, what might be interesting is to 
um, different how it differentiates from other smart contract chains, you know, including um, you know the Evmoses and the you know the, even the EVM ones, essentially. Is what I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so from from our perspective, let me show tell share with you where the idea originated from. So the the idea originally originated. So it was at Tendermint, and we are looking at obviously to to support DApps. And personally, um, I, I was I had lots of options in front of me as to what to pursue next. And I was disenfranchised with basically going out and, you know, building a dApp on top of Ethereum, for instance, or any other L1 for that matter. Um, and the reason is because um, as much as I, I like these L1s, they, they, they have similar problems to like Web 2.0 platforms. Um, if as a dApp developer, I go build a dApp on top of the protocol, um, you know, if you believe in the FAT protocol thesis, the value kind of all um, basically accrues at the protocol uh, layer. Um, and I kind of knew who the largest e-token holders were because I had been in the space for a very long time. And I, I often joke they're they're hanging out on a beach somewhere right now, um, just chilling at the moment, uh, maybe not contributing as much as maybe some of the core contributors are in, in some of these ecosystems. And so, um, you know, if if I as a developer were going to go build a dApp on top of one of these protocols, I'd be bringing in transactions and users and activities to the underlying protocol. But what does the protocol kind of give me in return? You know, what does it give back to me? How does it support my community? Um, and so that's where the idea of kind of Archway started to form, where we said, okay, we're rewarding and we're incentivizing the miners and the validators of these protocols. Why aren't we incentivizing the developers or even more formally, like why aren't we incentivizing all the participants of the protocol? And so that's where Archway kind of came from and, and, and kind of the vision and so forth. So what we've been doing is we've been working on a protocol uh, that, that does exactly that, that rewards the developers and the contributors building on top of the protocol. Um, and we do that in a couple different ways. Um, the three mechanics are, uh, is, and this is what kind of sets us apart, is we share part of the inflation or the emission schedule that um, that normally just goes to um, uh, the validators of the miners running the network. And we share a proportion mm -hmm. of those rewards with the DAP developers. Uh, the second way we do it is we do something called gas rebates, uh, which is which is delegated back. And then the third is something called um, contract premiums, uh, which is a proportion. Uh, it's basically like an added fee that the developer can basically uh, set. So, um, and just to clarify, when I say we, I mean the, the Archway core community is working on these things. Um, so what happens here is um, these rewards based on usage of your smart contracts all accrue at a specific contract address. And then the developer can set those rewards and do whatever they want with them. Uh, on deployment. They can use it to redirect to their governance token holders. They could use it to um, fund future development of the protocol. Uh, they can use it to re redirect to like a liquidity pool. Uh, they could use it to redirect those resources into a DAO. It's completely configurable and up to the developer to basically decide where those rewards go. And Broadly speaking, it's up to them to decide what's in the best interest of their DAP in their community. So it might be in the best interest just to give it back to the users to some capacity, which is what we really hope will happen longer term. It might be in the best interest to fund future development of the protocol. It might be in the best interest to, um, uh, you know, 
just put it into a liquidity pool, but it's all up to them to make that decision in the best interest of their community. Um, and it, it can be adjusted with, with time as well too. So you can update those parameters at any point. Um, and since it just, the rewards go to a specific contract address, it's just whatever you wanna build that contract to do. You can do revenue split fees, uh, you can do, um, you can pay back loans on the lending side. It's, it, there's all kinds of cool creative ways you can do once once these rewards are more programmable. Yeah. So, so there's three ways that you leverage here. So one is to do this kind of inflation split where typically in most blockchains, you know, inflation just goes to the validators and the delegators. Um, here, there is a, a split where part of those, part of that inflation goes to DAP developers. You mentioned a gas rebate. I think the first one is kind of clear-ish. There might be some, some technical things I want to get in here, here, but the gas rebates though, is not quite clear how that works. And then, um, then the third, the third one you, you mentioned is uh, it's like a smart contract fee. So here I imagine where you say, okay, as a DAP developer, I deploy my contract and anytime you're going to use it, you're going to pay some flat fee uh, for, for using the contract on top of whatever network fee uh, might be, might be applied for that transaction. Yeah, so inflation emissions is built into the protocol. Um, gas rebates, we actually, um, in the latest version of the protocol, uh, the community is burning 50% of the gas fees, similar to EIP-1559 on Ethereum, and then 50% is being redirected back to the DAP developers um, into a specific contract address that they specify. Um, and then, um, so it's just kind of redirect. So if you're paying, um, let's call it one atom, for instance, if you, if you were on the hub using that equivalent, um, you know, half an atom would go back to the developer smart contract, half the atom would get burned. Uh, in this case, it would be one arch, half the arch would get burned, half the arch would go back to the developer. And then the next is contract premiums. Think of it as like a toll on a road. Uh, we just set an additional fee that gets calculated into the gas amount. Um, and that just, there's certain reasons why a, right, the default is zero, but there's certain reasons why a developer may want to charge additional um, uh, gas uh, in order for somebody to use their smart contract. Maybe they are covering the costs of off-chain operations. Um, that that could be one thing. Uh, maybe they think that the fees are insignificant and they want to charge more for it. And they think, you know, by just charging a little bit more, they can actually do something more with the protocol. Um, and so there's all kinds of reasons why they may want to charge just just a little extra onto onto the flat gas fee that is calculated. So those are the three different ways. Um, uh, is, is that kind of clear, Seb? Yeah, yeah, that's clear. So so the gas rebate it's it's essentially EIP one five five nine, where part of the re, part of the burned uh, tokens paid for fees, uh, part of the tokens paid for fees are being burnt, and the other part are going back to the developer. Correct. Correct. Okay. Interesting. And then can you, yeah, well, in, in, in the case of, in the case of, um, of a, a chain like Arch, like a Cosmos SDK chain, fees are probably quite low. Does that actually make yeah. up like a significant amount of revenue? Like would anybody even use that? Yeah, so that's why it's taken so long to get to market here with the Archway protocol and why we've been working on it so long is because we're making pretty interesting changes to how the protocol works, uh, similar to EIP-159. So uh, we um, have something called a minimum consensus fee 
so we basically raise the level of the fee um, in future versions of the protocol the community is working on fee markets so that the the fees are adjusted a little bit more dynamically to pay for block space um, it's even more complex because we even reward every single smart contract that another contract interacts with so for instance if you had like a DeFi project that was looking up the price oracle price on on an oracle smart contract um, the oracle smart contract gets rewarded in this case as well as the DeFi project based on uh, gas usage and so what's okay. so what we had to do was basically go out and measure the gas computation across all the different contracts and usage in that assembly line and um and then appropriately reward them with the right amount of rewards and mm. um and so that's really where it makes very very where it gets really really interesting because then developers can start to focus in on just like small um financial small primitives and components within the protocol and as long as another dap is using it their smart contracts they're going to get rewarded so you could almost deploy once build something you utility base that everybody's using and if a whole bunch of other projects use yours you're going to get rewarded with time uh based on usage so um it really makes we'll, we'll get into the use cases in a bit but they, these are the things that we had to build into the protocol in order to make this uh, material so most like like you mentioned Seth, uh, most l1s in the cosmos most chains in the cosmos space right now validators accept like zero gas fees a lot of times or really insignificant. Um, we had to make sure we were designing the economics enough so that like the rewards are actually um, significant enough to the developers and to the teams that are building these steps. And so we had to kind of re-engineer all this, both from a technical perspective and from an economics perspective to make this work. Yeah, well, the validator aspect is the other thing I wanted to ask you because like running a validator is already a pretty low margin business. Uh, yeah. On most Cosmos chains, probably even like a, a loss uh, leader on a lot of chains. If you're like in the lower uh, range of the develop of the the validator set, um, how uh, how do you plan to make validators uh, you know profitable um, or at the least you know not lose money if like half of the inflation rewards are going to DAP developers? Not to say that they shouldn't go to DAP developers, but like. How does how does it, how do those economics work out? Yeah, um, I, we we had this question a lot in the early days, um, and after talking to a number of validators, I think a lot of the validators understood this point where um, you know at the end of the day they're kind of subsidizing their rewards today in order to um, in order to basically grow the development of the protocol, right? To get more dApps and more ecosystem participants. And overall, it's in their best interest um, to do so because that drives more activity, which hopefully then in, impacts, um, you know, the, the tokens that they're staking and so forth. And so um, it's kind of like subsidizing rewards today for validators in order to incentivize longer term development. Um, but what we found to talking to validators is like there's a pretty substantial capex investment to invest in the protocol, right? And they don't always recruit your validator, but you don't always recruit that right up front. It takes time, right? And too often you see these chains where, you know, it's a community chain or something like that. And maybe they don't have as much uh, of a robust community and, and like 
they you 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 invest in all this infrastructure, you spin up these nodes, you keep track of the community and so forth, and then it just like the ROI just really doesn't pay pan out for the invest for the validator. Yeah. And so, the the point of view I think most of the validators have taken with us is like, um, look, we are giving up some. But you know we don't really have high inflation in the token economics like other protocols. It's 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 a lot more in line with something closer to the Cosmos hub. But you're basically foregoing you know rewards today in order to subsidize the development of of the protocol in the future. And I, I think most validators are in line with with that vision. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'd like to get into the the modules that you guys have built because um, in addition to um, you know, some, you know, pretty vanilla, uh, Cosmos SDK modules, you, you've built a couple of extra modules. Tell me a little bit about what those modules do exactly and how they interact with the protocol. Um, yeah, we can dive into it on this call. I'll talk real high level, but I really encourage, um, you know, the, the community to basically go to the website and read the technical paper. There's going to be a very detailed outline paper that walks through the very specifics and the mechanics of all the different modules that were added um, and the changes to them and the adjustments. So when that's published, I think the community is publishing it closer to mainnet. But when that is published, I, I recommend everybody sit down and read that. Um, generally speaking, there's, there's two functions we do. I'll, I'll talk at the function level. One is tracking the re, the gas spend across all the different contracts. And the next is the distribution of the gas, right? And so those are basically the two functions we're, we're basically doing. Um, and that's been implemented across several different modules and it, it just, and it touches different points. So um, it's this tracking module and the rewards module. So tracking correct. just like looks at gas consumption across the whole chain and then rewards is the one that's Responsible distributing for it, yeah, okay. correct. Um, yeah, and then there's and there's been a lot of modifications to like WASMD and a few other things in order to make these changes. And so, um, we it would probably take me too long to kind of go through all the details here on this call, but I encourage the community to to jump on the website, look at GitHub, uh, to, to get a full understanding of how this all works. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm kind of like this, this is a technical podcast. So I'm kind of interested in like going a little bit into the technical. Okay, we can. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what, yeah, what are some of those? Yeah, how, how do those modules kind of like, um, yeah, well, how do they interact with the other IBC modules? And also, yeah, how, what, what changes have you made to WASMD in order to um, make them work? Um, yeah, so um, and we probably should also get just uh, somebody a bit more technical than myself on this call. But what we're really doing to the extent that you can, yeah, yeah. To um, the the biggest thing has been accurately measuring the gas computations of on the tracking side. So there's been a lot of work into that, and there's two gas comp computation uh, measurements we had to measure in the protocol. So one is at the WASM level, and one is at the SDK level. Um, most of the folks that are rewarding folks, like like how it differs from like something that FMOs implemented is they're doing it based on governance and they're basically just doing gas rebates. They're not sharing um, part of inflation. They're not sharing contract premiums. What we've had to do is basically um, measure uh, the gas computation both at the WASM level and the protocol level. Um, and based on you know every single contract in that assembly line, and obviously they can be really long. If you have 15 different contracts calling each other out for different things, it, it can um, it adds up. 
the other issues is handling like a lot of the air handling and default handling. So if one contract um, had a contract premium and then that requires this other contract in order to execute this transaction had to add an additional premium to that, which adds additional premium and so forth. And so we had to measure that and handle the air handling across all the different contracts in order to make this work. Um, the rewards distribution side is pretty easy. I would say on the token economic side, one thing we really made sure that we did was um, the payout is always going to be less than the gas consumed on the contract. So on the reward side, so that avoids some of the civil attacks and it's dynamic based on block space. So as more and more block space gets used within the protocol, um, the payouts actually adjust slightly in order to avoid like, um, like a civil attack where somebody comes in and tries to spam a lot and, and take up a lot of block space to halt the chain. What we do is we actually shrink it more and more and more the rewards dynamically based on um, the amount of block space that's being filled within the protocol. So there's been a lot of work done and understanding um, the, the community has done a lot of work on understanding how block space works, the computation, the execution, minimum consensus fees, um, and understanding like, you know, the minimum number of transactions we expect contracts to receive, things like that. So. All this work has been built into the protocol um, on the rewards distribution side to be more dynamic and adjustable uh, based on um, like usage to basically, um, it's not like a flat fee, it will change dynamically based on um, a usage of the protocol altogether, which is kind of cool. Okay, how hard is it, how hard is it to track uh, gas consumption across? So, so, so the way this works basically is a user calls a contract, that contract executes some logic. Yeah. You know, maybe it calls on another contract, that contract would call on another contract. There might be a chain of contracts being called. They all Correct. they all kind of call back to the main one. Um, that tracking module is is doing this computation or this 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 tracking for every user transaction, correct? Uh, correct. Yeah. And we're okay. tracking and it had to be done within the block, right? There's no iterative process in the protocol. You right. can't just go yeah, and yeah. the data and repost it back on chain. And so that's where some of the complication is. So yeah, what we're tracking is like total gas spend for the whole contract and then measuring the usage of each of these different smart contracts, both from like the gas rebate perspective, from the inflation perspective, and then from the contract premium perspective. And but so don't that's- Don't you have that already? I mean, like, I, I mean, you, you, at some point you have to know how much gas you're spending, right? Like, would you not? Uh, total gas, but some of these variables were never made public. So we had to make a lot of adjustments and expose these variables. It was exposed internally into the WASMD file, but it wasn't exposed like publicly to other modules in the Cosmos SDK. So we had to make a lot of changes uh, to make that happen. Okay. So like the user knows how much gas he's paying. And then like the end, when the, when the transaction gets posted at, to the block, that information comes back, uh, but it doesn't get communicating to other, like other modules can't capture that information. They don't have access to that information, correct. So oh, we've had to expose okay. those methods and keep track of that data and everything else within. How much of this, oh, okay, this is interesting. How much of this do you attribute to um, just, well, uh, I guess, I guess my, my, how can I, uh, I guess what I'm trying to get, get to is, why why is it that like modules aren't aware of 
the costs that Cosm Wasm contracts incur? Is it because they just were never they were never, never thought built? of? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like the design decisions were made long time ago in, in yeah, how the before Cosm Wasm. Yeah. There's a lot of before Cosm Wasm, before um, even Cosm Wasm, and just like the design decisions never adjusted for this type of use case, right? Nobody had ever thought yeah. of this before. Um, we've been pioneering it. So just, it wasn't just ever designed for, for this specific use case. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. What, what are your thoughts on like this Cosmosm SDK idea? Um, like it's designed in SDK or are you talking about deploying on top of the I, hub? Which are you, are you familiar with the CW SDK that Larry engineer is working on? Uh, vaguely familiar with it. Um, maybe for okay. our audience, we could just give a run. Yeah. So, but I mean, basically, what what the idea is that he's stripped away all of the uh, Cosmos SDK modules and also like a lot of the wrappers because there's like a ton of wrappers around Cosmosm to get to Wasm yeah. D. There's like I don't know six different layers or something. He stripped away all of it, and he basically has a Cosmosm VM that's talking directly to ABCI. So a lot of that, um, a lot of those, uh, you know, kind of layers of abstraction uh, are kind of, you know, done away with and it optimizes um, communications directly with, with Tendermint. Uh, but then the idea is that all of the Cosmos SDK modules and, you know, this is not production ready or anything. I don't, I don't know if he's got any funding with this or not, but, um, all the modules would be built as Cosm as Cosmwasm modules, uh, and and be uh, you know interoperable yeah. and have parity. And then the idea is that like basically you can just run a Cosmos chain as a full Cosmos SDK or sorry as a as, as Cosmwasm, and then you know like development's much faster. You can like update modules like with a lot less pain. Um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for for sharing that with the audience. Yeah, I am I am familiar with that. Oh. We're kind of doing the same thing on some of our stuff. So, like for instance, we don't have um, uh, the lockup module um, built into the protocol. We rewrote that as smart contracts, vesting smart contracts, things like that for all the early contributors, things like that. Um, Airdrop similar. So, uh, we've already pulled out some of those modules. Baking it right into the protocol does make optimization sense, but there are there's just a few modules you still need um, built directly into the SDK. So you don't have, it's like, it's a, um, it's a goal. My understanding from a technical perspective that we're all trying to skate towards, but we're just not there yet in terms of, yeah. cause there's still a lot of dependencies on, on local modules. Yeah. Yeah. And where, where developers are, um, are, are getting these revenues. Like you said earlier that the revenues that developers are making, they're going to an address, um, is that a is that a contract that the developers or is it could it just be like any uh, any wallet address like how does that work? It, it can be a wallet address. It can also be a smart contract address. Uh, it gets predefined on deployment, so you just deploy where you basically deploy the contract ad if you want it as a contract address or a user address on deployment in your smart contracts. I believe it can be updated as well with a signature, but. Um, the rewards all go to that specific address wherever you locate it. And then, um, you know, depending on how that functionality is built, that then allows for, you know, it to be redirected to governance token holders where you would basically claim as a governance token holder. It could be like put into a multi-sig where, um, 
you know, uh, you, you can withdraw or approve certain transactions can be thrown into a DAO, whatever the case is. So, um, yeah, so it's 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 decided on deployment of the contracts initially. Yeah, I could see this being used with Juno uh, and like DowDow, for instance, like, yeah, where I mean, you have very strong, robust DAO tooling over on DowDow, you could have your your um, you know, these revenues go to a, a DAO and then like have the community vote on like how those tokens or that revenue could be used. Um, which brings me to my, my next question, which is about, which is about Juno. Uh, so yeah, Juno is, you know, probably the, the most, uh, used and well-known, uh, Cosmosm chain right now in the interchain. Uh, Neutron will also launch, uh, yeah. at some point on, um, on the hub, well, as, as, a, as an ICS chain, I guess like from a go-to-market perspective and like, a, you know, you, you've, you've done a lot of go-to-market work. So I, I guess this is maybe like one thing you've thought a lot about. Um, what, what do you see? Because, you know, because there's so much traction there already, um, you know, you know, first, first to market sometimes is also like the one that gets to go to market. Um, sure. What, what do you see as the risk that, you know, some of these other, I can see particularly Juno, like all these ideas are, it, it feels to me like they kind of align with the, you know, the Juno uh, ethos to some extent, right? Where it's like very developer focused or whatever. Like I could totally see, you know, Jake coming out in a couple of years or a couple of months and saying like, hey, we're going to like start doing this kind of like revenue share with our developers and like Juno V whatever is going to have this in there. Um, how, how do you, yeah, how do you think, uh, Archway will will different will like be truly differentiated from other chains that have you know fairly large developer communities and like lots of tooling and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and, and look, we're we're actually really supportive of like Juno and Neutron, for instance. Um, I think the public likes to try to create this like they they want like size, they want drama in the Cosmos space. And we actually are, are, are pretty supportive of those communities because ultimately it it, 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 it pushes Cosmosm and the tech much farther. Like we don't really see, we see them very much as complementary. I, I hope Juno forms into more like, I'm going to make an example, like a Kusama type thing, like an experimental chain where folks are like experimenting, trying different things, trying new features. We're very focused on this reward stuff. We're going to continue to iterate um, down this path. Um, the Archway community is and um, to courts, custom fees and everything else. And so there's there's a whole bunch behind the scenes that we're excited to kind of press into this area and into this direction. Um I'll put it this way. So we were asked by the the hub to basically be, um, you know, interchain a, a, a chain secured by by the interchain, and we, we did turn that down because, um, look, while I I think it's good for the hub, you know, for the chain itself, the challenge is you basically have to give up your economics, and um, in order to basically participate in that type of protocol, and since we're very economics heavy. And our rewards are basically already going to uh, significant amounts going to developers. It didn't make um, economic sense in V1 of, of the implementation of IC um, interchain security. Um, and so not only you're giving up your economics, you're also giving up your sovereignty. Um, and from our point of view, it's like we believe, you know, most use cases probably should be built as dApps, not as their own self-sovereign chain. Only in a few cases does it make sense to really build as a self-sovereign chain. And... If you're relying on the hub and the validators, it's going to be much harder to have 
faster iterations. Um, it's going to be much more difficult to um, try new things, experiment, etc. And so we kind of noticed that with implementing the gravity decks at Tendermint on the hub where that didn't really work because they didn't iterate fast enough. And Osmosis was set running as a separate chain and they were able to iterate much, much quicker than the yeah. hub. The hub had to deal with all the politics and everything else. And so um, I don't think there's a good or bad. I think all can exist in, in this, this big, big space in this big ecosystem. But uh, from our sense, it, it didn't make any economical sense from the developer's point of view. And we, already as a community have a lot of interest from you know validators and developers and everything else we weren't worried about like a security issue or not having enough funds to secure the chain so we just we it didn't make sense for the timing of it all um you know and i, I hope the juno community continues to experiment um there there is you know some pros and cons of how the communities are structured so i, I think all our community chains the, the biggest difference here is um you know Behind the Archway protocol, there's a couple core entities that are that are contributing actively to the protocol, um, and um, it's just it's just designed. So instead of like volunteer uh, contributions and submissions, there's a, um, a little bit more focus behind the scenes in in some areas. Not to say that Juno doesn't have a lot of structure or organization; it's just structured differently, um, and and so that brings out pros and cons to how the protocol works and operates. Hmm. What, what um, you, you mentioned this and you know, we, I mentioned this at the top of the show that you think that not all, uh, that, that not most dApps will actually will be sovereign app chains and that that will only make sense in certain cases. Uh, what are those, um, yeah, what are those cases and where, where do you think that app chains, uh, uh, you know, make most sense? Yeah, here's a metaphor I, I share with a lot of folks. Um, if you're familiar with Web 2.0, um, you know, and you're building a web app, you're going to try to get to market really quickly. And what are you going to do? You're going to go build your web app and deploy it to like a Heroku, a DigitalOcean, a Google App Engine, some sort of platform as a service that can get and just host your website real easily um, without you having to worry about all the infrastructure behind the scenes or anything else. As your startup matures and you you grow, you start to move your infrastructure over to like more of a larger cloud hosting service like AWS, Google Cloud, um, Microsoft Azure, and you start to control how the servers work, the storage works behind the scenes, but you don't have control of the data centers, but you have control of the compute sources and so forth. Mm -hmm. And if you get very, very, very large, then you move over to your own servers in your own warehouse. And you Dude, I, I have a Twitter thread right now that is basically this whole thesis. <laughs> this is great. This is great. It's an address, it but yeah. <laughs> and you control your whole, you control basically the full stack, right? And, yeah. and so similar... Um, maturing is probably happening. Like if you want to quickly get to market, go go build on any of the L1s. Um, I'll, I'll say why Archway, because Archway gives you an on-ramp into your own custom chain. It's much easier to migrate from one Cosmos chain to you know, a standalone chain than it is to migrate from, let's say the Ethereum community or an optimistic yeah. rollup into its own Cosmos self-sovereign chain. You're going to have to switch wallet providers, infrastructure, you know, the whole nine yards, all the integration stuff has to come from Bootstrap. So um, there's a much easier path to building on top of something like Archway and migrating yeah. to your own self-sovereign chain if you need that long-term roadmap and growth. But similar to how startups are built, I just don't see a world where 
um, you know, everybody is going to need a completely um, their own custom chain. You have to have, bootstrap a validator community. You have to have the resources to secure the networks. You have to get all the integration providers involved. Um, and what we're going to see here, and I think we're already seeing it, is like the wallet providers, all the supporting infrastructure, they have a lot they have a lot of a diminishing returns so every product that they integrate into their service like there's probably not as much value they're going to receive similar to like why a validator can't support all cosmos chains because you know there's going to be some that are more quote-unquote profitable than others yeah and so i just don't see a world where there's going to be um you know thousands and thousands of different um maybe i don't know what the upper limit's going to be maybe it's ten thousand thousand but i just don't see a role where everybody has their own custom chain i just don't see that 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 happening i think we just there's so much interest in cosmos right now so you have all the interest coming in and then but i think you're going to have like probably big three in every area will kind of like work itself out you'll have three amms that kind of way and i think you're going to have give or take you're going to have um you know three generalized smart contracting platforms, I think you're going to have uh, a handful of winners and it's going to get a little bit more consolidated here through this bear market. So that, that's yeah. kind of my thoughts on some of this stuff. Um, I hope to be proven wrong, but but that's that's my thesis behind some of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally aligned with it. Like I said, I, I, this is something I've been also thinking about a lot because the, you know the, 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 there's a lot of, I think, uh, the narratives right now around smart contract deployment, like smart contract chains, and then modular chains and app chains, they all sort of exist in, um, uh, you know, as, as individual narratives. But to me, they're just part of the same narrative. It just, it, it, it's, it's more of a question of the degree to which uh, you need uh, customization and control of the stack um, exactly. for your application. And so I sort of see, like, I totally see it in the Web two space, uh, the Web two kind of framing, because this is where I, I kind of came from, right? It's where, you know, your your smart contract on a on an Ethereum chain or on Juno or on uh, on Archway is akin to like using Squarespace or something like that. And then, and I think the modular stack really fits nicely in here, where uh, a sovereign uh, a settle a sovereign roll up or a settlement roll up. Well, a settlement rollup is more like using DigitalOcean, right? Like you you have access mm -hmm. to the execution layer, but you don't really have access to the infrastructure. And then a sovereign rollup is like building your business on uh, on AWS or on Azure. Uh, there's a high coupling between like, there's going to be high degree of coupling between your settlement and execution layer and also like the data availability layer such that you're gonna get like high performance there, but if you want to move that execution and settlement layer to somewhere else, like that's gonna be a pain, right? Because it's it's so coupled together. And then app chains are like fangs. They're you know they're Facebook and Microsoft and Google. They're building their own data center. They're building their own underwater sea cables. They've got their own hardware, and they have perfect vertical integration and like economies of scale throughout the yeah. entire stack. And you know, 20 years ago lots of small to medium-sized companies had their own data set. Like I worked at a video age, video production agency in like the like early 2010s. And we had like a rack of servers in the office to store all of our email and everything. This was commonplace 10 years ago. You know, it's still quite common back then. Um, as infrastructure has matured though, 
that has become just a game that nobody plays anymore just because it doesn't make economic sense. It's only reserved to really big companies that really want to control their entire stack. So I, I see a lot of similarities between how the web has evolved in this in this in this analogy. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's cool to know that other people are also thinking about the same thing. We think about um, that too. We, internally at Phylabs, we've even run some analysis. We, we there's one number we throw around sometimes, um, and, and don't quote me on this, but I think it's like three million U.S. dollars it takes to basically run a chain a year. You know, um, so it's like, and that's basically to make sure that there's enough rewards going to validators so that they're compensated to run basically the servers. And I, I think that's where that number is derived from, uh, but don't quote me on it. So I I think like that we think through those things quite a bit and. Um, similar to your point, I think the use cases, you know, trading makes a lot of sense maybe as its own self-sovereign chain because everybody's fighting for uh, fast finality and fast processing of transactions. And so that makes a lot of sense to do customization at the protocol level to make those optimizations to solve that specific use case. Yeah. But like, I don't see it at like an NFT dApp level. I just, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense from my point of view, from a technical perspective. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's going to, I mean, as more, as there are more and more, like, you know, this cost is this 3 million. Okay. Let's, you know, consider it to be maybe accurate, somewhat accurate. Right. Uh, it's going to become more and more prohibitive for, uh, it'll be more and more prohibitive for new entrants to the ecosystem to go out and build out their whole like validator e ecosystem, when there's no real guarantee that the validators are going to be making any money there uh, and that there's like long-term alignment. And, and so, yeah, I think like Celestia and, and that whole narrative around the modular stack and the promise there that you, you can build an application at a fairly low cost and, um, and also get security at a very low cost. I think it's really interesting for like that middle, a lot, a lot of the middle market, yeah, it's kind of funny to say like the middle market in crypto because like the market's not that stratified, but like there's there's your smart contract like applications that are probably in the long term going to be for really small biz hobbyists, you know yeah. this this sort of thing and and testing and, and sort of like progressive iteration, right? Like uh, product testing from that from that perspective, and then and then that middle market I think probably will will go to like a more modular stack. Um, and, you know, Ethereum also, you know, in the whole roll up centric vision, I think, you know, fits into that as well. And so just to highlight, you know, it's like the old MBA metrics, that triangle where it's like you, you have to optimize either for cost, time, or in this case, like control or customization. And it's like you can have full customization, but it's going to cost you a lot. And it's going to take you a lot of time. You can lose some of the control, but it's going to be much cheaper and quicker to get to market. So it's just depending, you know, this, it depends on what solution and problem you're trying to solve. Um, and so we don't see ourselves as like, there's no like winner take all. It's just whatever's best for the developer in their specific use case. Yeah. Um, what is the what, what's the roadmap or kind of the path for uh, an application built on Archway or you know on any smart contract chain for that matter to move up the stack, move move up this this kind of complexity matrix where. You start as a smart contract and at some point, you know, you maybe want to become an app chain. What's that? What's the path look like? Yeah, we, we've been thinking about that a little bit more in detail. Um, the Archway community has, and I know the Cosmos community has too. Um, you know, the natural, 
thing might be moved to like um, a chain that's secured by um, uh, like like using our chain security and just move to its own self-sovereign chain and do the compute on another chain um, with interfaces on the main hub. That's one possible solution. Um, there's another where you could see developers just spinning up a plain vanilla Cosmosm chain and then just redeploying their smart contracts to that plain uh, vanilla Cosmosm chain. I know like uh, the Saga group's kind of thinking through some of that a little bit. Uh, um, and so th that's one possible route on some of this stuff. Um, you know, the, the question here is just like, um, I, I guess more of like, why and if you're going after a specific use case like trading you're probably better off just building a self-sovereign train or something like that um but i like i said i think in most cases i just i don't i don't see a path for them needing or wanting to move to their own chain and i think they're going to realize that there's um a lot more hidden costs associated with it than, than people probably realize because you have to get all the partners integrated into the chain as well um, and the community doesn't and that's no no tall order yeah yeah i think i think there's going to be a small set of use cases where it makes sense to to have a sovereign chain and and, and for the for those that are already sovereign right the the stargazes etc of the world uh, yeah, I think they can grow to a size where it continues to make sense for them to be their own sovereign chain. Like they're not going to downgrade to something else. Um, <clears throat> and, and then I think there's a lot of chains that will find, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to, uh, Rick Dudley a couple of weeks ago and, you know, he, he was saying like a lot of chains will find their niche. Yeah. Yeah. And what that means is whatever the biggest DAP there is will become basically the app chain for that DAP. So, you know, Ethereum, it might be like Uniswap is, you know, Ethereum just becomes like a kind of Uniswap chain and also uh, like verifying proofs for all of the, all the rollups. Uh, you know, it could be that Juno just kind of becomes a big DAP chain, right? Like that's just, that's the main use case. People just use uh they just, just or, sorry dow chain right, right? Just yeah like, like dow, dow chain exactly yeah. it, it like it, becomes a gnosis chain of of cosmos yeah. in, in a way right and and i feel like that makes sense long term as just as as there's this consolidation that you mentioned earlier right yeah um, the the archway community sees that vision too i think one of the things that also differentiates us is it's not the technical but it's the use cases and what's possible so like archway in the reward system enables all kinds of use cases so if you had an oracle service for instance and you're posting pricing data on chain those oracle smart contracts are getting rewarded now you have a um sustainable model for the oracle service provider okay similarly if you had for instance um like an asset backed stable coin i'm just going to use an example like usdc on top of archway every time usdc tokens move or transfer they get rewarded well now you have a sustainable model for usdc they don't have to do fractional reserve banking things like that so archway is more geared toward like off-chain asset issuers coming on chain um, because we provide them like a sustainable rewards model to support support um, tokenizing their underlying asset class. Um, there are certain things like 
we're very big in um, like generative art kind of stuff. I think you're going to see that being very successful on, on Archway um, in, in particular case. Another great use case is like um, on-chain multi-sigs will be really big for Archway because every time you sign a transaction, those, those multi-sigs are getting rewards, the developers behind them. So you're going to see very specific use cases where Archway is more geared towards than like just a regular generic chain, which is also what makes it differentiated from every other L1 because everybody's just doing copycat um, you know, copy, copy, paste, um, DeFi, copy, paste, NFTs, the whole nine yards. And look, that's great and all, but like, that's not pushing the space forward at all. We're much more interested in, in new verticals and new use cases that can't be done on any other L1 or any other Cosmos chain. And that's why the protocol has been designed the way it has been. Cause we think there's this, this really, really big space that's untapped. Hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you also about this, uh, this whole uh, Confio public goods uh, sure. thing. Um, so basically Confio, they are the core maintainer of Cosmwasm. They announced yesterday that they are stopping all funding. Um, there's a tweet that uh, where they've announced like, okay, that they're, they're not, uh, they're not uh, funding future versions of Cosmwasm, I believe. And they're, they're not, uh, upgrading Cosmwasm to support like the new versions of the Cosmos SDK and they're not doing any new PRs or, you know, bug fixes or anything like that. Uh, right before this, there was a Twitter spaces going on where they were talking to the community and like trying to explore options here. And, you know, Confio is, you know, a, a company of about 25 employees and, uh, um, you know, essentially I think has received very little funding for this for this thing that everybody in Cosmos uses, that's you know um, powering potentially like billions of dollars worth of value, uh, but they can't get like the two million dollars a year or something that they need to keep the team running. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? And and you know, I think it kind of also ties in a little bit to um, the yeah this this this, this funding idea uh, with with archway of finding like yeah. novel funding me me mechanisms for for projects yeah first uh my heart goes out to the team that they're great if you haven't met them or talked to them um they, they tend to be really supportive of of all cosmos ecosystem and cosmos chains um We've been uh, trying to get them more involved. Um, Phylabs, the software DAFCO, we're, we're also uh, supportive of a lot of the technical stack. We've been driving Golang compilation so you can write smart contracts and go and compile them up to Wasm, things like that. So um, we're, we're, we're big supporters and, and maintainers of the technical stack and, and continue to contribute in different ways. Like for instance, Area 52 on the education side is another great example if you haven't played with that. Highly recommend doing it. It's a fun tool to learn how to build Wasm contracts. Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, it's probably the tragedy of the commons, right? Like, like it's it's a free public good that anybody can use. Um, personally, I, I believe all the chains that that are active need to really step up. I was told that several folks that were um, we're not live yet. We don't have our our. our the, the token circulating, but the, the objective and the goal was to to obviously, um, if a governance proposal came in, the community was planning to support Confio um, and bring them on as advisors and everything else. Um, that that would be the hope from the Archway community side. I know other governance, I know other community programs basically reneged on their contracts to Confio, so that that's kind of hurtful. Um, I would say 
um, it probably should be coming from ICF informal. Like I think the funding needs to come from the hub uh, to fund development. Cosm Wasm is becoming a core fundamental piece that that everybody's using, and um, I, I think as a community we should uh, vote to give them, um, you know, a, a healthy uh, allocation. Um, and so that that would be my thoughts is like it, it really should be coming from there because it's, it's core fundamental work um and then the rest of the chains should should step up and, and support them mm -hmm. um it's it's a tough problem you know there isn't real great easy answers here um but you know we're we're here to help support in in, in any way we can within our um uh, financial means yeah i, mean, I think the, yeah I, I think the solution uh you you, you kind of nailed it there i think like icf uh needs to step up in a big way um yeah primarily because uh it is contributing not only to you know bringing uh i mean to, to the, the interchain ecosystem as a whole but also attracting developers uh to the ecosystem um you know, more and more developers are interested in cosmwasm like we're hosting a hackathon this summer and you know, hope to have like 200 people there building on cosmwasm um, and, and other Cosmos stuff, right? So, like, it's it's a very attractive uh, environment for people to build with, and um, and yeah, I mean, like, the interchain uses it on their website. <laughs> it's like, uh, it, yeah, it, it it feels obvious that you know much of the funding probably should come from from the interchain foundation. Um, yeah, I hope I hope this will get resolved because it's just like it's just like another one of these. Yeah, most drama it, things. <laughs> That's to, like just it never just ends. Distract people from from doing yeah you know, from doing their work. Um, and, and then my hope is the Cosm Wasm community. I think there's there's only a handful of real contributors to the Cosm Wasm technical stack today, similar to the SDK. There's just not that many. Um, we're fortunate enough we have we have some smart folks here over at Phi Labs that that are contributing in different ways. But I would say um, you know like we probably as a community need to do more coordination the goal with all these technical stacks doesn't matter who's who started it or or the current state of things is to decentralize them as much as possible and not rely on any one centralized entity right that's that's the goal of decentralization so um we need to support each other um but we also need to be moving towards a world where um where everybody steps up and contributes in different ways and in different capacities yeah um well, that's a good, yeah, good message. Uh, what's the uh, what's the roadmap, and and also what's the go to market? Like, what kinds of projects are you targeting? Uh, what kinds of projects do you expect will build or are you building on Archway? And uh, when's uh, when's launch due? And I'm asking also because uh, one of the things that we're trying to get set up here is that projects that we get on the show, we also would try to run validators for. And uh, it was, I was, was looking, I was like, oh, well, it seems like you can't run a validator for Archway at the moment, as far as I can tell. Uh, what's, yeah, what's the Yeah, what's the, the community hasn't launched the network yet. Um, the community, the last I heard in, in the internal forums is looking to launch the protocol um, in, in around Q2 is, is kind of the time for mainnet at this current stage of things. Um, so getting really excited. If, if you are a validator, there was... Um, I know the community and the foundation launched a validator delegation program. Highly, highly recommend if you haven't signed up for that to definitely get involved there. Um, I know delegations are being allocated as as we speak uh, from the foundation. 
Um, so that's that's one side of it. The um, yeah, so launches launches around. Um, most likely, the community is going to have to vote on it, but it's it's anticipated to be Q two, and um, yeah, that's kind of the excitement of the timeline. Um, in terms of use cases, there's several. Um, you know. I would say uh, typical DeFi projects building on top of the protocol, um, a lot of NFT projects. The, the interesting thing though about the projects that are launching on top of Archway is they're taking the traditional like DeFi model and doing it differently. Like a lot of projects aren't launching a governance token on top of Archway. Um, and the reason for that is like from a developer's perspective, as soon as you launch a governance token, you have to deal with the regulatory side as well as you have to maintain the community and everything else. And you don't wanna like rug pull your community or anything like that. And so a lot of developers are building, I was surprised building DeFi projects on top of Archway, um, and but planning to come in with more of an experimental point of view, basically not launching a governance token, using the rewards to cover, you know, maybe expenses or something like that. But um, that's really, really what's so interesting uh, about the protocol. So yeah, no governance token, or they're using the rewards in a, in a unique, interesting way to basically supplement, um, you know, basically having um, anything like subs subsidizing LP pools or whatever the case is. So really interesting things like that. We have a couple NFT projects um, in the community that are basically launching NFT stuff where they, um, they actually use the rewards to subsidize uh, gas fees. So like there's no gas fees for early onboarding, which is kind of interesting. Um, so a lot of the use cases are really adapted or unique use cases that um, maybe changed DeFi or NFT originally. You're going to see a lot of toys being, I call them toys being deployed, like simple, cool, fun toys to play with um, as use cases. But like I said, I'm much, much more interested in like really unique ideas that that haven't been thought through um deploying on top of archway and that's what's going to be really fun because you're not going to find those steps on on any other l1 yeah and so launches do sometime this year so like q q2 q2, q2 uh, the community is leaning towards yep okay cool and um yeah how can people learn more about archway and start building on the platform yeah, definitely follow Twitter, Twitter Archway HQ. Um, I know a lot of announcements are out that way. Um, obviously, go to the website, archway.io. Um, docs are at docs.archway.io. Um, in there, there's several community test nets already being run, lots of explorers. You can already start building and deploying dApps. You can start to play with calculators to understand what your rewards might be of those dApps. Um, so uh, there's CLIs and a whole bunch of developer tooling there and documentation. So definitely take a look at the docs if you're a developer. Um, definitely join Discord. I know the community is pretty strong in, in Discord as well. So definitely if you have questions, there's a lot of folks helping out on DevRel side, community side, things like that. So definitely join the Archway Discord if you haven't done so yet already um, in Telegram. But I'd say just join the community, start getting involved, ask questions about what are cool ideas or projects you want to build. And I think you're going to be pretty inspired about uh, around a lot of the use cases um, around Archway. So definitely um, join the socials, check out the website um, and follow along. Great. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. I, I really enjoyed uh, diving into some of the technical stuff, but also uh, talking about the industry and also the Cosmos ecosystem at a high level. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Amber. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No worries. And to our listeners, thanks for 
for watching and also for listening. Uh, I go live every Thursday. So if you're interested in uh, following live streams, do subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, uh, you can also uh, stake with Interop. Just look for Interop in Valorizet. Thanks a lot. And I'll see you next week.